What happened in 2020? What did you hit production wise? So 2020, I sold just under 35 million in, in production. Wow. Wow. That, if I'm doing my math right, that's basically a triple. Yes, absolutely. You tripled your production. Almost dollar for dollar or triple. That's correct. <laughs> that's of great. Course. You must have done something different from between year three and year four to go from 11 million to basically 35 million. million. What, how did you do that? What, what happened in that transition? Yeah, this is my favorite part. This is what I want to talk about. It makes me excited. Uh, so the, the very first thing that I would recommend to, to any agent, no matter where you're at, is know your numbers. Track how many contacts you're making daily and weekly. Because what you're going to be able to do from that, you're going to be able to take some key statistics like your average sales price, your average uh, number of transactions throughout a month and throughout a year. You're going to be able to take that data, divide by your average number of contacts and figure out the mathematical number of people you need to talk to to reach X amount of sales dollars. So um, I will actually pull up my spreadsheet. What I want to earn within the next 12 months. So we'll take 525000 um, was the goal in uh, in 2020? Average sales price will be 850 thousand at an average commission percentage of 2.65 percent. If you guys don't know how to calculate your average commission, all you do you go back, you, you find all the sales you made last year, add up um, the commission rates, and divide by the number of sales. So you might have a two and a half, a two and a half, a three, a three, a three, a two and a half. Take those, divide by the number of sales, and that'll spit out your average commission percentage. You can see that, that, that my goals would lead to a $328 per hour worked work day, which is um, a lot better than the $12 an hour I was getting managing. <laughs> so. Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent, and welcome to Success Calls. This month's top agent is Caleb Spears with Sotheby's International Realty in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Welcome to the call, Caleb. Hey, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Hey, Caleb, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before we talk about what you're doing today, I want to go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Sure, absolutely. So um, I, I'm, I'm relatively young. I'm 23. I got my license when I was 18. So prior to, to jumping into real estate feet first, I was the manager at a Chick-fil-A of all things. And uh, that was an incredible training ground. It was, it was the best training I could have asked for. And I didn't even know it at the time. Um, so it's funny how life just works those things out for you, but it was an incredible experience. I really enjoyed it. I got to work with so many people from different backgrounds, nationalities, um, life paths and stories. And it, it was truly wonderful. Um, and, and just just an amazing experience that really helped me, I think, springboard into real estate and make a much smoother transition than I would have otherwise. How long did you work at Chick-fil-A? You know, I didn't work there for too long. I was there for maybe a little bit over a year. 
Um, but it was very intense. So I was, I, I graduated college just after my 20th birthday. So while I was working at Chick-fil-A, um, I was also studying to get my real estate license and I was finishing up college. So it was all kind of coming together at once. I would get into Chick-fil-A at 6 a.m. I would work until 2, 2.30 p.m. And then I would go drive an hour to college and go take um, 18 to 20 hours worth of, of course load and, and uh, try to knock out my degree. So um, it, was, it was intense there for a little bit. So how many hours were you working at Chick-fil-A a week? Um, I'd say I was probably working 30 to 40 hours, depending on the week. So you were almost full-time, plus you were full-time in school, plus you were going to get your real estate license all at the same time. It was all hitting. Yeah, it was all happening at once. It was a busy time for sure. And and go back for a minute. I, I'm sorry, but I got to go back. When did you graduate from high school? How old were you? Um, I graduated from high school in 2015 and I graduated with my associate's degree um, from a local college at the exact same time. So I started going to college after my sophomore year of high school. So I got my two years knocked out in my junior and senior year of high school. And then I went and finished up my last two years at Florida State. Okay. So it's like a dual track. You were in high school and you're also taking, you say some community college and you're getting yes, those so two years down. Yep, that's correct. So our county offers what's called dual enrollment. Um, so it is a dual track and you get credit in high school and in college. And um, my, my plan, I, my brother did a very similar thing. It was kind of where I got the idea. I stole it from him. But um, a lot of colleges I knew would not necessarily accept every credit from high school or from college. It doesn't always transfer, but I knew they couldn't tell me no if I had a degree. So <laughs> I went ahead and knocked out the degree um, the county paid for it, which was amazing. So I got my two-year degree for free and um, jumped straight into college after that and finishing up my four-year degree. What a smart idea. So if anybody out there is listening and you happen to be a teenager and you're ambitious or you are the parent of a teenager who is a little ambitious, what a great path to take uh, to get ahead. Uh, my daughter did that with um, those, uh, uh, what do they call them, CE classes. And she was able to knock out her first year of college while she was still in high school. They didn't have those kind of programs when I was going through. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy they have them now. And you've really made the best of it. So I want to hear more about that. You, you got out early. You had this experience of working at the Chick-fil-A. When you were doing that, what do you think that you learned there? Did you learn sales skills, just general communication skills, uh, dealing with people? What do you think was the, the biggest asset that you learned? Um, the, really, that's a... A multi-fold answer there. Um, I would say one of the biggest things I learned was discipline. I was fortunate enough. So Chick-fil-A is renowned for their level of service that they provide. You know, they, they pride themselves on being not fast food, but quick service. And so I learned a lot of discipline and I operated at one of the highest level of service Chick-fil-A's there are in the nation. I would contend that ours was easily one of the best and, uh, and most detail-oriented Chick-fil-A's there is. And so to be brought up under that guidance and under that leadership, it taught me so much. I remember one of my first days there, they told me to clean this fridge and I was determined to do a good job. I really wanted to impress the new boss. I was like, I got this. I'm going to clean this fridge amazingly. Scrubbed it down. I felt really good about it. Told him to come over and check my work. And he starts pulling back the little liners around the edge of the fridge. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even know fridges had that. <laughs> and he's like, this isn't 
pain. You need to do it again. I was like, I felt, I felt like I was in boot camp almost, but it was truly a good experience and discipline. And then also just in leadership. So um, over time I got promoted into a leadership role there and I was in charge of people that were twice my age. And so I remember one time I um, saw these two ladies who were much older than I, it was right after I got promoted, like the week after I was promoted. And I decided to try to flex my leadership capital a little bit and see, see what would happen uh, being young and, and not too bright yet. And uh, I told them, Hey, you guys should, should do something. You're not really doing anything. And they just gave me these eyes and they were like, look, you're not the boss just because you have a name tag that says you are, you're the boss. If we respect you as such. And if you want the work done, get down and do it. And um, I learned so much about leading from the front and leading by example in, in that job. And it, it went from people not respecting me to people. Every time I go there, even to this day, there's people I worked with that are still there and they greet me with the biggest smile and they're so excited to see me. And we really formed um, a great relationship while working there. And I learned a ton. It was an incredible experience. That is wonderful. And it sounds like you've moved that forward into real estate. So let's talk about that transition. Why did you decide to go into real estate? Well, so that's a funny story too. I was working at the Chick-fil-A, the, the operator, which is you know the owner for all intents and purposes of the Chick-fil-A was asking me, hey, if you want, I can put you on the track to own your own Chick-fil-A. And so I was kind of thinking and praying through that decision and saying like, man, is this the life path that I want to take? Because at the time I was 18 years old, I was, I was studying for my license because my family, my family revolves around real estate. My dad's a custom home builder and a general contractor. My brother is one of the top producing, producing agents in Florida. Um, so I figured, you know, I'm never going to regret having this license. And um, my brother ended up offering me a job on his team on a family trip. He just saw me conversing with these strangers and, and just chatting with them. And, um, he said, you know, I think you have a really good skill set for real estate. You should, you should quit your job and come join my team. <laughs> and so as I thought and prayed about it, I thought, man, I, I really feel in my heart that that's the right decision for me. And so I did, I quit my job, finished up my courses to get my license, got my license when I was 18 and, uh, and joined his team. And, it's been an amazing experience and I couldn't plan it any better, to be honest with you. Wow. Wow. Okay. So first, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. I'm going to ask some more of those details. And you, you got your license at 18. Did you start selling at 18? Did you start selling real estate? Um, so it was towards the end of when I was 18 that I got licensed. I don't think I officially, because there was paperwork and onboarding and all this stuff, I don't think I actually started on his team until I was 19, like right after I turned 19. Okay. And so you did it early though. There was, there was some uh, overlap between working in the real estate business now and finishing up your college degree. There was, yeah. So I finished, so I started when I was 19 with Jonathan and I finished college when I was 20 and um, my broker actually put it in my contract that I would finish my degree. <laughs> 
uh, he asked me during my interview, he said, you may not need your degree, but you're always going to be glad that you have it. What's a comfortable time frame for you to finish? And I told him, I don't know, maybe two years, because I knew I had about a year of coursework left and I wanted to work in real estate. And he said, great, would you, would you sign your name to it? I was like, uh, I guess. He goes, perfect. So if two years passes and you're not finished with college, you're fired. <laughs> and it was in my contract. And I decided that I would finish by X day in two years. And um, it was, I really appreciate him pushing me to do it. I'm not sure I would have finished otherwise because real estate is, is kind of like a snowball rolling down a hill. Once it gets started, it, it just grows and grows. So um, I was thankful for that. There was some overlap, but I was used to that because there was a lot of overlap with Chick-fil-A in college. So it wasn't anything new to me to be working in school. Um, so that part wasn't too much of a struggle. So when you started at real estate, you weren't part-time, you went in full-time. Correct. Okay. I, that's what I want to get out there. So real estate was full-time, college was full-time for about a year or so. There was an overlap and then you were able to just go straight into real estate even more full-time at, at an even more rapid pace. Good. So we've got the, the core base laid down of the story. Um, how did that first year go? You were 19 years old, pretty young. You had a great mentor. You went in under your brother. Uh, it sounds like you had a great broker, was looking out for your interest, wanting to finish college. How did the, the real estate part of that first year go? Did you sell any homes? What happened? I did. So I had about three and a half million dollars in sales in my first year, which um, for many people, that was probably, that probably sounds like an amazing first year for me. I felt disappointed, um, being, being the younger brother of a hundred million dollar annual producer <laughs> and working at a brokerage where the average agent production is 15 million was, um, you know, three and a half felt a little bit, um, Bush league for me. I felt small, but looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, I'm really, I'm proud of myself for, for having accomplished a lot because it was it was drinking from a fire hose. You know, I'd, I'd grown up in and around the industry, but even so, there was so much to learn. Um, I laughed so hard. I've never changed it. In my phone, the very first lender I ever talked to, I put her name as um, financer because I didn't know what to call a lender when I started. <laughs> and I remember Jonathan asked me, what's the difference between a condo and a townhome? And I was like, uh, and he was like, you need to hit the books and you need to study. <laughs> um, so it was a huge learning curve. I was drinking from a fire hose that year. And I really, I spent the first six months just learning. It took me about six months to make my first sale. Um, and then it picked up from there. But I really do think that that's because there's a, a base level of knowledge you've got to acquire before you can skillfully handle a transaction. So I spent a lot of time doing that. How many units is that in your market? 3.5 million. How many homes were properties were actually sold? Well, my average sales price right now um, for 2020 was just over $800,000. Jonathan's average sales price is probably closer to $2 million. So we have a very wide range. Um, we also have VA sales going on where, where some agents are doing 100, 200, 200 transactions of $200,000 average sales price. So we have a very wide range of product in our market. Um, for me, in my first year, I was cutting my teeth on a lot of condo sales, a lot of first-time home buyers, and it was around the $300,000 range. So um, that was probably around my average sales price. So that would probably be maybe 12 or 13 sales. Great. Yeah, that's what I was hearing. So about a dozen, dozen sales that first year. And as you mentioned, the first six months, there wasn't much happening because you were learning the core information. So for the last half of that year, 
knocked out 12. That's a pretty good pace. You're, you're beating yourself up, but I think most people will be pretty happy with that about two a month. Um, once you got your feet going now, where were those transactions coming from? You closed 12. Again, I want to keep you in that very first year because there are people listening. They're in their first year about to get started and they want to know how they can get started quickly. So what, what did you do that first year to find business? For me, the team dynamic was so helpful in getting started and, and having not only someone to train underneath who would teach me the nuances of a contract or why this neighborhood produces 10% gross rental income, but that neighborhood next door only produces 8%. Um, that was incredible, but also because Jonathan was able to provide some measure of lead flow through signed calls and internet leads. And um, that was where a lot of the business came from. It was an evolution for me to kind of um, transition from what I call hunting in the zoo, where everything's kind of hand fed to you to, uh, to hunting and killing your own stuff and getting out there, creating your own business. And I think that that's a, an important transition for new agents to make, but also don't be afraid to, to get under someone more experienced than you, to learn from them and to, to get some lead flow coming in that will help you really get started and get your feet underneath you. That's some pretty good advice. That that first year, those first 12 transactions or so, uh, was it mainly buyers? Were you typically working with a buyer? Yeah. So oddly enough, my very first sale was a, a listing and it was a friend of mine who, who trusted us with it. And um, really, he asked Jonathan to sell it. Jonathan said, hey, I want, I want you to take care of this one for me. <laughs> and I was very grateful. Um, it was about $300,000. And after that, it was pretty much all buyers um, from then on in my first year. So very much mainly a buyer's agent. Let's move on now to the second year. What kind of production started to happen? Did you change your price range? Any, did you just continue with what you were doing or did you make any changes in the second year? I think really years, years one through three for me were a lot of a lot of the same in terms of just learning, 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 and, and more learning. And that's the best thing I can recommend to a new agent is learn your market, learn the nuances of your market, learn the, the amazing restaurants, learn the, uh, if you work in a, a tourist driven economy, like I do learn the and, um, and what produces well in your market. And it, so you have to forgive the ding. I apologize. Someone texted me, but learn what, what makes your market unique, what makes it special, and what separates individual communities from one another so that when you get in front of a potential buyer, your hit to miss ratio on who you're closing and who you're not closing goes through the roof because you're able to educate them. And by educating them, you're going to build trust with them. You're going to enable them to feel safe in making a decision because there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of confusion in the buying process. And um, as for you as an agent, it's so important to eliminate stress, to eliminate confusion. And really the only way to do that is through knowledge. So I spent the first three years doing a lot of learning. Um, in year two, I grew from three and a half million in production to um, just over 10 million in production. I believe it was 10.2 million in, uh, in total production. How about year three? What'd you move up to? So year three is, was 11.8 million in production. And I was very frustrated by that because I had jumped from three and a half to 10. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to make another jump. And it, it didn't happen. And so that was where in 2020, I really had to begin shifting my focus and, um, 
and changing my business model, changing my business plan to, to see the shift that I wanted to see. Let's do this. I want to run to the end of the story and then come back. What happened in 2020? What did you hit production wise? So 2020, I sold just under 35 million in, in production. Wow. Wow. That, if I'm doing my math right, that's basically a triple. Yes, absolutely. You tripled your production. Almost dollar for dollar or triple. That's correct. <laughs> that's of great. course, 2020 was a, a big year in the real estate community across the nation. There was a, definitely a boom brought on by, by the world events happening around us. But um, in our market, the average increase was somewhere in the 40% range. So to, to go up to 300% is definitely a statistical anomaly. Um, and there's, there's definitely some things there. <laughs> you were that, pushing it up to that. You must have done something different from between year three and year four to go from 11 million to basically 35 million. million. What, how did you do that? What, what happened in that transition? So um, the, the main thing that I started doing was looking at real estate as a business instead of just as something that I do or, you know, I think, I think the major trend I see among most real estate agents nationwide and in my market as a whole is that they are always chasing the next thing that's right in front of them. They're kind of flying by the seat of their pants in a sense where it's just that this buyer needs me to show them property on Thursday and this seller needs me to meet with them on Wednesday. And they're just caught up in the whirlwind of what's happening, never really making a detailed plan, a business plan of action on how they're going to accomplish their goals. And many of them haven't even defined what that goal is, let alone make a plan to get there because they're so caught up in, in this business, which can be very busy and very time consuming. So for me, the transition was, was making a plan and starting to operate like a business rather than running around like a chicken with my head cut off like I did for the first three years. You were successful running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Uh, you were making revenue, you were making sales, things were good. It's just you decided to go to another level. What was the, the reasoning for that? Why, what was the motivation? Why did you want to do more? That is an excellent question. I have always been a little bit of an overachiever, I guess. I've, I've always just had a vision for my life of where I want to be, what I want to be able to give to people, um, the, the trips I want to be able to take my family on. I want to be able to see someone in need and, and be able to meet that need. If someone I see needs a car, I just want to be able to buy them a car. You know, I, I, I'm motivated by those sorts of things. If my family wants to go to Europe, I want to be able to take them to Europe, you know? So, so those things really motivate me to go above and beyond because money is not everything and it doesn't buy happiness, but let's be honest, it buys a lot of things that make you happy, right? Including buying things for other people because, you know, they, they say giving is better than receiving, right? And it's, it's really true in a lot of cases, but you can't give if you don't have resources to give with. I've got to assume some of it is brotherly competition. You said your brother is performing at a really high level. Was that any of the impetus for why you wanted to triple and get into a higher production? I definitely think that there was some um, friendly competition between Jonathan and I in that regard. Uh, but truthfully, it really is the friendliest of competitions. I admire Jonathan so much and what he's done and what he's built. Um, and, and truthfully, I have 
I have benefited so much off the years of hard work that he's put into this business. And um, certainly it would be fun um, to one day be, be in competition for number one and number two agent with him. Um, I think that would be a, a really fun time, but um, yeah, I think there was certainly some friendly competition, some friendly, some friendly rivalry and motivation there, but overall extremely grateful for him. So we've talked about the motivation. We talked about the fact you had a plan to triple. Let's get into the nitty gritty of what was in that plan. What were you going to do different between year three and four? What was the plan? And then what actually happened? What did you actually do to triple your production? So the first thing I did was I had an amazing conversation with a gentleman by the name of Wes Madden, who's our chief operations officer for our brokerage. If you know him, he's incredible. Um, he's a special forces, special forces veteran, highly motivated. And uh, he, when he got out of the army, he was, um, he was medically discharged from the army and went to Alaska and started a real estate brokerage. And within six years, he had taken that brokerage from nothing to the largest one in the entire state. And it becomes so entrenched as an expert in Alaskan real estate that when Congress needed someone to testify for a, for a case they were looking into, they called Wes Madden as a real estate expert um, to, come, to come testify before Congress on the state of the real estate market there. So he gave me some systems and processes that are extremely repeatable and um, extremely doable that I just took and, and tried to humbly implement, as he would say. And um, it, it really, that was the catalyst that, that tripled my business and allowed me to grow 300% in the space of 12 months. So I, I want to break that down. First, you went to someone who's already achieved the goal that you want to achieve, and you asked them for assistance. You, you told them you have a goal and you want to help have some help to do it. And most people in those positions do want to help. And you were lucky enough to find one. Wes is a great guy. And now let's though go into what specifically we're talking about. You said uh, systems and processes. What are we talking about? That doesn't make any sense to people. You know, what does that mean? Yeah, this is my favorite part. This is what I want to talk about. It makes me excited. Uh, so the, the very first thing that I would recommend to, to any agent, no matter where you're at, is know your numbers, right? Know, how, know your average sales price. Know your average commission. That's a big one that a lot of people forget about. And, and, and here's, here's the huge one. Here's the one that makes the real difference that most agents don't want to take the time to do, but it, it made all the difference in the world for me track your contacts. Track how many contacts you're making daily and weekly, because what you're going to be able to do from that, you're going to be able to take some key statistics like your average sales price, your average uh, number of transactions throughout a month and throughout a year. You're going to be able to take that data, divide by your average number of contacts and figure out the mathematical number of people you need to talk to, to reach X amount of sales dollars. I mean, real estate is a people business, but it's an art and a science. It's also a numbers game and a mathematics game. And if you can figure out a couple of key statistics in your business and then track how many people you're talking to, how many appointments you're making. So I track my listing appointments, my buyer appointments, and my number of contacts. Those are the only three stats that I keep up with on a daily basis. And I do mean a daily basis. I keep up with it every day. When I talk with someone, I have a spreadsheet. I go in, I delete 37 and I put 38. I delete 38 and I put 39. I do this every day. And every week is a new block and I track it. 
And that will make all the difference in the world in your business. Because from there, it becomes, okay, I want to sell $35 million. How many people do I need to talk to at my average sales price to sell $35 million? And then you just, you just have to be disciplined to implement that strategy and, and go for it. Let's go a level deeper. You're doing a really good job of laying this out. I want to go a level deeper. Um, so you've, you said you're tracking it, and we're going to talk about how you're tracking in a minute. But first, I don't want to miss the fact that you said you know your numbers and you know how many contacts you have to make to get to a closing. How many is it? I do. So um, I will actually pull up my spreadsheet. Is there a way that I can share my screen on Zoom? You absolutely can, yeah. I'd be happy to just see the, the back end of my... Uh, Caleb, tell us what we're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, you'll see, it's my 2020 blueprint tracker. Okay, so the first thing I start with on my tracker, and you can do this on a piece of paper, it doesn't have to be built out in a spreadsheet like this. I know this is a little bit advanced and, and maybe beyond some people's scope. Um, I actually had somebody build this out for me. But uh, first thing I want to start with is my worksheet. And this is, this is where it all starts. So what I want to earn within the next 12 months. So we'll take 525,000 um, was the goal in, uh, in 2020. Average sales price will be 850,000 at an average commission percentage of 2.65%. If you guys don't know how to calculate your average commission, all you do, you go back, you, you find all the sales you made last year, add up um, the commission rates and divide by the number of sales. So you might have a two and a half, a two and a half, a three, a three, a three, a two and a half. Take those, divide by the number of sales, and that'll spit out your average commission percentage. So I take these stats, I plug them in. You, want, you may want to plug in your split if you're on a team um, or if your brokerage takes a certain percentage. So you, you want to work with that a little bit. And you'll see for a total sales volume of 50 million. And um, this was actually, when I started 2020, I actually had 25 million. Um, and I had a goal of, I think, a quarter of a million dollars in, uh, in GCI or, or rather income, um, net income. And so I was, I was actually playing around with this earlier. These numbers have gone up a little bit. As my, <laughs> yeah, as it's my awesome. They've gone up. So you um, had a 25 million number, you hit it and then you bumped it up to finish out. The year. That's, that's a lesson for people to catch. Yes, absolutely. Always, if, if you break the if you break the goal, go higher. <laughs> absolutely, because a lot of people will stop, and you just yep, move, you moved it up. Yes, sir, I did, and that was I finished. I think at thirty four and a half. So uh, <laughs> basically thirty five. That's so sweet. All right, keep rolling. You're doing great. People are gonna love this. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So you you see here on average, I must contact eighty two prospects for each sale. So let's talk about this. People are going to say, that's great. What's a contact? A great. contact is, is anything, any conversation, any correspondence. It must be two ways. It's not, I left someone a voicemail. It's not, I texted someone and they never responded. It's a two-way conversation that could lead to a sale now or in the future. And that in the future part is key because a lot of real estate agents miss in the future. They're focused. They're so focused on the now that they miss in the future. And that's where I've built a lot of my business this year is on focusing uh, on, on my past clients and on, on their spheres of influence and actually gaining referrals from that. But we can jump into that later. Um, so you want to, you want to track your contacts and that's imperative. And the way I do that, you'll see at the bottom, I have a prospecting tracker down here. 
And really, so I've got a goal of 75 per week. That was what I set at the beginning of 2020. You can see my actual average was 81 and a half. And I've got a trend line. So the red line was where I was at. You can see during the height of the coronavirus, I had a bit of a dip. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who to talk to. It was, it was a bit difficult because no one wanted to buy or sell um, at that time. And um, so we kind of had to cope with that. But I didn't use that as an excuse to keep that trend line under where I needed to be. I made up for it. I worked hard. I, I overproduced in other weeks and actually ended up above my, my goal, which was phenomenal. That so you can awesome. see every, yeah. So every week you got contacts made, listing appointments, buyer's appointments. Some people track minutes prospected to me. I don't, I don't care about that stat. I care about how many, how many meaningful conversations I've had with clients, whether whether that takes 120 minutes a day or whether it takes 20 minutes a day, it's more about creating relationships and maintaining relationships than any. Let's go back, dig deep for us on what does that contact mean again? Is, is, it a, is it a vocal conversation? Would you count something there? You're going back and forth on email or a text or over Facebook Messenger. Does it have to be that you're talking face to face or on the phone? How, how do you qualify that? Yeah. So what I'll say is this, it, I do count and, and you can come up with your own definition. You don't have to use my strict definition of it. What I count, I count anything that is correspondence, whether that's a text message, an email, a phone call, anything that's a two-way correspondence as a contact. I, am, I count one person per day. So if I have a lead that's really hot and they're moving and we've talked 10 times today, that's not 10 contacts. That's one. Okay, so that's how I count it. The best kind of contact, the contact I encourage you to make the most of are phone calls. That is where you're going to really make the most of your relationship because I can touch 100 people with a text message very quickly and watch the number on the screen go up and feel really good about myself. But have I really created a meaningful relationship there? In some cases, maybe, but in a lot of cases, maybe not. So I encourage you to make as many of your contacts as you can phone calls, face-to-face -face interviews, you know, taking a client out to lunch if that's part of your business model or um, going on showings and showing them property, face-to-face -face over Zoom, FaceTime, or just voice-to-voice -voice on a phone call. Those are going to be your most impactful contacts. And those are the ones I encourage you to do. This is great. And so you said that I think it was about 80 a week contacts was your average. Yeah. Yes, so you're, you're at about 15 to 20 a day. Does that sound right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So the way I try to divide it up is 15 to 20 a day, five days a week. It gives me the weekend for flex time to either catch up on things that I may have missed in the week or uh, to show property. A lot of my property gets shown on the weekends because of the nature of our market. It's usually Saturday only for a lot of houses because they're rented. So um, it gives me my weekend free or if I just want to spend time with my family, I can do that knowing that I have accomplished my goals and having peace of mind that uh, the business model works, the plan works, and I can rest and enjoy that time without anxiety nagging at me. Cause that's what I found a lot before I started doing this was I was even in my downtime, it wasn't downtime because I felt like I should be doing something. You didn't know if you'd accomplished your goal and you're focusing on this one metric, how many contacts you're making. And that's telling you that you've either succeeded or not succeeded that day. As far as your prospecting is concerned. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a couple of metrics that you can focus on to, to increase your income because that's what we're all um, looking for at the end of the day. So if we go back to the worksheet, you can focus on this contact number, which I highly recommend. 
Um, the alternative is focusing on that um, average sales price number, which is a huge one. Upping your average sales price, going for a higher dollar home on average is a big way to increase that while still making the same number of contacts. And then you can focus on that average commission number as well. Um, so so if, you, if you implement buyer brokerage agreements or you become unwavering that when you list a property, you're going to get a 6% commission or you're not doing it, um, you can up your average dollar per minute worked essentially or dollar per hour worked. And uh, that's what we're really all looking for at the end of the day. You can see that, that, that my goals would lead to a $328 per hour worked workday, which is um, a lot better than the $12 an hour I was getting managing. <laughs> Absolutely. And now the second part of your, your recommendation was strategy, bumping up your average sales price, bumping up your average commission. The original part is something that people can actually do, the number of contacts. So I want to uh, dwell on that for a few more minutes. And my question is this, are you blocking a certain time in the day on your schedule to make those contacts or are they just happening randomly throughout the day? Yeah, so what I would recommend people do, first of all, is go out and buy a book called Focal Point by Brian Tracy. Focal Point was a book that Wes Madden recommended to me at the end of 2019 and said, hey, jumping into 2020, you should really use this to, uh, to help increase your sales. And essentially, the, the gist of the book, and I encourage you to read it because it goes into much more depth, but the gist of the book is focus on the, the top 20% of your business and the tasks you do daily that make 80% of your wealth. Because generally, there's a handful of tasks you do that actually generate your wealth. And there's a handful of a whole bunch of other stuff you do that's not making you any money and is not really the highest and best use of your time. So um, what I did was I pared down my list of things I do in a day to just a few simple tasks that make me money and the rest don't. And I need to figure out how to minimize my time in those tasks. I need to outsource those tasks or I need to eliminate them entirely and focus the majority of my efforts on what's profitable for me. Um, so what I did, I focused my efforts on prospecting and making contacts on showing property on going on listing appointments or on writing contracts. And even that one to a degree could be outsourced or eliminated to, you know, by, by passing off to someone else, because technically it's not making you money, it's paperwork. Uh, but for me, I, I like writing my contracts to know they're written well, because legal documents are binding and uh, I want to make sure they're done right. But um, those were the four tasks I keyed in on and kind of a, uh, kind of made my priority. So I do block off time for prospecting. Um, I really like to do it in the morning, you know, like 8 a.m. to noon or 9 a.m. to noon, depending on the day, and try to catch people in the morning. That way, if they do need something from me, I have the rest of the day to get it done for them. But um, you can find what works for your schedule. A, a Harvard business study found that between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. can be best for, for most people to make the highest volume of contacts, have the most success in their phone calls. It's between, uh, it's between 7 and 9, like so essentially before people get to work, and then between 4 and 6 as they're coming home from work, before they're at dinner with their families, that sort of thing. Those are generally your best hours to make contacts, but get them in where they fit in and make a priority to track them 
And then you can always refine the schedule and the process as you go. But the important thing is to make a plan and execute on it. And you can always refine as you continue along the path. Caleb, I want to make sure I got this correct. Are you saying that you have time blocked and you prospect for four hours every morning from eight to 12? And in that time, you typically have a conversation with 15 to 20 people. You know, I've found that, that really, as I've, as I've refined my process, I can typically have a conversation with 15 to 20 people in about two and a half hours. Um, sometimes it takes four hours. It depends on how long the conversations are. <laughs> and that becomes a skill in and of itself, mastering the length of conversation and, and how to have a meaningful conversation. Hit on the, the forward questions, if you guys have, are familiar with that, family, occupation, recreation, dreams, and goals. And uh, you want to make sure you key in on those things and not just talk shop, but really get to know somebody and create a relationship with them. Um, but you can do that within the space of five to 15 minutes very effectively. It doesn't always have to be hour long conversations or 30 minutes on the phone with each client. Um, so, so I would say getting good at managing your time on the phone is an important part to, uh, to meeting your goals because things will come up. And uh, as much as my plan is to prospect, sometimes things come up, sometimes that gets shortened a little bit, uh, whether through life or through business. And so mastering the, uh, the length of time you spend on each phone call and, and still maintaining quality is another very important aspect to that to work on. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. How do you know who to call? I, I, you might address this a little bit, but I want to bring it back up at this point. Who are you calling? Who are you talking to? So I keep a, a hot list and a warm list, and I actually color code it as well. So I stay organized with, with who is looking around, and basically I have their name, their contact info, and as, as I'm having a conversation with someone, I'll begin typing in, I keep it in a Google Doc, and I'll begin typing in the Google Doc, taking notes on what they're looking for, what's important to them. As I'm drilling down on that, I'm writing it down so I can always go back and reference it. Um, I, even, I also do it in, in a hard notebook as well. So if you're, if you're more old school and want to keep it in a notebook, by all means, that's an effective method. Just make sure you're organized and you can find things quickly. Because um, as, the, as the contacts, as the list grows, it becomes harder. That's why I like uh, online because I can just press Command F and type in their name and find whoever I need to find. But um, I keep a hot list and a warm list, and I use that primarily. I also track all my sales, and I keep the names of who I've worked with in the past. So I'll, I'll go back to my past sales list and talk to those people. And then I've also, I also utilize Boomtown as a database system. And so I've got um, tons of leads in my, in my Boomtown. And I will start with my hot list and my warm list. I'll move to my past clients and then into the Boomtown and, uh, and stay in that order. So I assume then the conversations are everything from, hey, you want to look at a home tomorrow, you got a hot lead, or hey, you want to sell your house next week, all the way down to someone that you just call up and say, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while, and I just want to catch up. 
Yes. And I love those calls. Those are actually my favorite calls because they sometimes end up being um, the ones that bring the most joy um, to my business, not only through the shock and surprise and gratitude of when they say, you know, my friend is looking, I would love it if you would help them. And I get that referral because it means they really trust you. And that honors me a lot. But also because I've had things like I had a lady, she said, you know, Caleb, it was the perfect time for you to call me. I just got out of the hospital, and found out I've got cancer. And um, she wanted me to pray with her and encourage her. And I did. And um, thankfully, she's, she's healthy now. But it, it's special when you keep those relationships alive because people feel like you really care. And that's when you can really start to build long-lasting relationships, which is the lifeblood of a real estate agent. I want to I want to talk to the hardcore business people listening right now and they're saying why am I spending time and my business time praying with someone to get rid of cancer? And the answer is, is you're building a super deep relationship with that person. How are they going to ever forget you? You're now part of their family. That is absolutely right. I actually for the first time and that's a big shift for me by the way. That's a big shift for me because I used to be very transactional in my business. It was, I help you find a house, I send you a closing gift, transaction's done. I don't really talk to you again. I might call you in like a year and a half and see if you want to sell your house, but I'm not going to maintain the relationship very well. And that's what I'd say eight or nine out of 10 agents do based on the stats that, um, that have been found. And um, I, I, for those hardcore businessmen, let me give you a story that is, a, that is an absolutely 100% true story and it will rock your world. One of the C-level executives at Disney, he was once asked about real estate agents in general during one of his interviews. And he said, you know, I've bought and sold, I think it was 12 properties during my life. And uh, I wish just one of those agents would have ever called me back after we closed because I talk with high-level executives every day positioning them in and around Orlando to get them jobs at Disney's corporation there. And if they would have just called me back, I could have made their career, but none of the 12 did. And that's what most people find. There's, there's a a statistic that around 10% of clients when interviewed say that they still have a relationship with their agent one year after the transaction. However, 90% of those same clients say that they would love to use their agent again when interviewed directly after the transaction closes. So 90% of customers are happy with your service. They would use you again. And yet 10% say they ever hear back from you. So you're missing out on 90, the other, the other 80% of people that would like to work with you, you're missing out on their business entirely. And not only their business on average, every single person, you know, knows five people that are going to buy or sell real estate this year. So it may not be that customer that's going to buy or sell with you, but they sure as heck know a minimum, an average of five people that are going to do it. And if you are the one that is praying with them when they're coming out of the hospital and sending them flowers to say, I'm so sorry, and and we're with you, We're, we're in this together, and you're taking care of them, and you're asking how their kids are doing, and you know about them, and you're entrenched in their life, and you're not just their agent, but you're an advisor giving them market stats and updates, you're their friend knowing what's going on with them, 
how are they not going to hear someone talking about real estate? One of those five people they know and go, oh my gosh, you got to use Caleb. You got to use Mike. Mike's the best agent I know. You'd be foolish not to use Mike. He is hands down the best agent. That is the value in maintaining those relationships. Perfect. That is fantastic. Caleb, thank you so much for walking us down through that that and showing us all that amazing information and opening up your, your computer and showing us how you're tracking this. That was very, very helpful. And I hope people are taking a lot of notes. Uh, I know I am. I want to uh, ask you about, is there anything else that helped you do the tripling? You, we've got the tracking. Uh, that was, seems like the big one. You had a big goal. You asked for some help and you started tracking everything and you got it down to one metric that was the most important. Yeah, I know you have the three, but it was really the one that you have the most influence over, which is those contacts per day. Was there anything else that helped you do the triple? I honestly believe the vast majority of the tripling came through creating a plan and then executing on that plan, right? General Patton was once quoted as saying, a good plan executed right now is better than a perfect plan executed next week. And that's what I was trying to say earlier in regards to contacts is it's very easy. And I fell into this trap too. And so I imagine many more people will. It's very easy to say, well, I need to first perfect the system. I need to have every minute of my day planned and I need to have it all laid out. I got to have all the spreadsheets just dialed in just right. And then I'll start doing this. Don't do that. Please don't do that. You're wasting valuable time and valuable money that you're missing out on by instead just, just executing on a good plan now and then refining it as you go. That is, that's the biggest recommendation I can make because you're going to miss out trying to make it perfect. Uh, Caleb, let's do a, a quick speed round so everybody can catch up with where you are. I'm going to ask you a question. Just give me the first quick answer that you got. We'll just kind of run through it real fast. So sure. my first question for you is, uh, how old are you? I think you mentioned before, how old are you? I'm 23. 23 years old. And what's the, the name of your team? Spears Group. Spears Group. And what is your position on the team? Well, I used to be a buyer's agent, but I guess because now um, my, my sales, almost half my sales were listings last year. So <laughs> I guess it'd be more sales associate or maybe luxury real estate advisor at this point. Perfect. Yeah. In our lingo, we call it a team agent. Somebody who's doing both the buyers team and the sellers. Um, and let's see, how long you've been licensed? I, I, did you say four and a half years, five years? Four and a half years. That's correct. Four and a half years. And last year, how many homes did you sell? And what was the sales volume? It was 41 homes and the sales volume was $34.5 million. Wow, that is fantastic. And uh, do you recall what your GCI was on that? Yeah, the, the total GCI was just north of 900,000. It's about 925,000. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is fabulous. And your average sales price? 825,000. 825. Now in your market, is that the low end, middle end, or top end of the range? Is that luxury? Is it beginner homes? What is that in your market? That is the middle end of our market. Um, it really, I, I cover a wide range. My smallest transaction last year was a lot that I think was $100,000. And then my highest transaction was north of $3 million. 
So uh, I covered a very wide spread. And um, I would say 800,000 is really right in the middle in that, that kind of sweet spot for our market. Excellent. And you start to mention it, but what do you know what your split out was last year between buyers and sellers? Yeah. So I, it was uh, 19 sellers and I think 21 buyers or 22 buyers. Fantastic. And now what I'd like to do, we're going to move over to uh, production. We're going to do some of the lead gen because you start to delve into that. I don't want to miss it. Um, so let's go there. Um, Caleb, I know that you, you mentioned a lot of your production is coming from uh, re repeat and referrals, right? From your past clients and sphere of influence. I want to jump into that area now and talk about it. And I think if we did our numbers right, it's about 56% of your business. So just over half your business came from that. Uh, what I'd like to find out now is what are you doing? So my first question for you is how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Um, my boomtown right now has probably about 500 um, active leads in it or leads that I've already worked with and closed out. Um, I would say of those, I keep in contact regularly with probably 60 or 70 of, uh, of those clients. And, and that number is growing all the time as, as this system continues to get better and more refined. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's that's around about the numbers. Well, let me ask, uh, Boomtown is, is usually referred to when you're talking about internet leads and leads coming in. So is the 500, are those kind of general internet leads or are they your past clients and sphere of influence? They're a little bit of everything. So I've got internet leads in there certainly that have come in, uh, but I, I do try to use that as my main database tool for management. So even like my hot and warm list, I like to have that on hand outside of Boomtown for quick reference, but even those people are in my Boomtown as well. Um, and I keep them categorized as hot leads, nurture leads, which is someone that's looking in the next quarter or so to purchase. You've got watch leads that are looking within the next 12 months. And then I've got archive leads, which are people that are looking 12 months or more into the future at purchasing or selling. Um, so I, I keep it organized in that. And I've also got new leads, people that just came in. They shouldn't stay in that category for more than 24 hours. And then you've got qualified leads, which are people you're looking to qualify to see where they need to fit in your pipeline. Excellent. So you've qualified your leads and you're giving them a level. You're giving them a grade for what you, what, who's the hottest and who's the weakest. And therefore, you know who to talk to first. So you make sure you don't miss out on the most important people. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Again, you got this database of 500. You also mentioned you got 60 to 70 you talk to a lot. Why are you talking to them a lot? Is that your, your most important SOI? Is that your past clients? How would you define them? Um, I would say the, the bulk of that is my hot and my warm list. And then my, my top past clients that I, that I keep in regular contact with. I, I try to keep in regular contact with all of my past clients. But of course, you have some that are better than others that you may give more priority to than others. And, um, and that's what kind of rounds out that list. Excellent. Now let's talk about what you're doing to stay in touch with those people, stay in front of those people throughout the course of a year. So give us your big picture view of your annual marketing plan. Sure, absolutely. So first and foremost, we like to have drip email marketing campaigns set up. Um, we try to do one a week of 
maybe an, an amazing new listing we just brought on that we think people would like to see or a marketing update or perhaps a stats update in their neighborhood of, of a significant sale that just happened in their immediate area if they've already purchased and they're living in a place. Um, that's a great idea to do, by the way, if you have a database that, that allows you to drip people with emails. Once someone has already purchased, a lot of people, they just stop dripping those emails about um, for, for updates of, of what properties have come on the market. Set them up a new update. Set them up an update um, that's kind of geo-targeted right around their immediate area in their neighborhood so they can always know what's going on. You'll be surprised how many people will pick up the phone and call you because they think you're sending those emails to them personally when in reality it's automated. And uh, they're going to go, hey, I just saw... Uh, Ken from down the street, he listed his house for 2 million. Can I get 2 million for mine? And <laughs> you'll, you'll be amazed at how much business is generated off that, that automated email system. But that's, that's the bulk of it. Um, we also do postcards, which are, you know, we'll do really high quality um, postcards about new listings or just solds, or again, market updates. We try to keep people as updated as possible and position ourselves as experts in the market. And then really what I feel is, is probably my, my most important tool in my tool bag is picking up the phone and calling them, making a relationship with them. Or they say, hey, we're in town. And I say, great, let me take you guys out to lunch and just continuing to build that relationship. I actually, I had a gentleman, he came in as a Zillow lead and he said, look, we're not going to buy for the next six months minimum. I said, no problem. But I stayed in touch with him. And two months later, a house came up and he said, you know, I just can't pass that. I was like, well, this is great. I'm happy about this. So it was a $1.5 million house. He purchased it. It went very smooth. I, I continued to follow up with him directly following the transaction. I called him the day after we closed. I said, congratulations. Is there anything you need from me right now? I said, we're good. Called him a week later. Hey, how's the house? Is anything working incorrectly? Do you need recommendations for a restaurant to go to tonight with your wife or whatever? And just tried to continue to serve them post-closing said, we're good. So I call him about a month after the transaction, again, just to follow up, not to push anything on him, not to sell him anything, but just say, hey, how can I be of service to you? And he said, you know, I am so impressed with your follow-up. He said, I work in a business where very few people follow up. And um, I'm so impressed by that. And listen, this house that we have is good, but it's a little, the foot traffic's a little too much. I want to keep this house as a rental. And I want you to go, I want you to go write an offer house we saw for a million six. So he bought a house for a million five. And because I stayed in touch with him, had I not his rental management company, they were also real estate agents. They would have gladly sold that to him. Um, but, but because I stayed in touch with him, maintained the relationship, made him feel valuable to me beyond just the paycheck. He said, you know what? I'm not going to write it up with those guys. I want you to do this deal for me. And I ended up doing two one and a half million dollar transactions in the course of a month with the same customer because of that follow-up. So that is the biggest tool for me in terms of getting past client business. That's fantastic. Let me break out the numbers. Or you can help me break out the numbers. I got that uh, the email goes out weekly. How often does do the postcards go out? Are they on a schedule? Are they random? Are you trying to do one a month? What's the situation with the postcard frequency? Um. Thankfully, because we're the, the top selling team in the market, our postcards go out pretty frequently because we do we do just listed and just sold postcards. So whenever you get a listing or you sell one, you send them out. And, and so that could be all stacked in the one month or spread throughout the year. It's just whenever you list them and sell them. 
Yes, correct. And that's highly effective, especially in neighborhoods where they're getting three and four and five of them from us. And they go, man, these guys have a system that works. When I want to sell, I'm going to call them. Um, So we generate a lot of business off those postcard leads. It's been one of our best um, lead gen sources and one of our most profitable as well. So that's a fantastic one. We also send out a quarterly market report. And we have a phenomenal marketing team that puts together a very professional looking market report, um, both in digital form and in print form. And so we send that out once a quarter. And then the, uh, the thing that I've, st- we also do social media and all that stuff as well um, and keep a frequency of, of daily with the social media. But um, one of the things I'm working on doing is a market update Monday where once or twice a month on a Monday, I'm going to put out a video showing the basic breakdowns of stats and send that out to my whole database as well as my social media and just continue to position myself as an expert because you don't only, you don't only want to be their friend. You want to be the expert. And a great example of that, a colleague of mine that works out of a Sotheby's branch in Colorado, he was positioned as such a real estate expert in his client's mind that his client called him and said, hey, I need to buy a castle in Scotland. And you're the best guy I know for real estate. Will you fly out there and just look at it with me? And he said, heck, yeah, well, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so they Where do we go? Well, not only so, not only did he do that, he flew out to Scotland, looked at the castle with the gentleman, but because of the Sotheby's network, um, because it's a global brand, he was able to refer him to an agent in Scotland and get a commission, a 25% referral check on a $20 million castle. (laughs) So, So positioning yourself as an expert in all things real estate is also incredibly important in addition to building relationships. You need to have both pieces. It's art and science. Uh, what a great piece! What a great piece of advice there. Um, you mentioned that you you one of the the things that you're doing with your sphere of influence is you want to call them. Do you have a frequency con- uh, idea there? For instance, sorry, do you want to call them weekly, monthly, quarterly, once a year? What what's the plan there? I would say it depends on on where they're at in your pipeline, right? Obviously, your hot leads you're calling them daily or very close to it. Um, your warm leads that are looking within the next three to six months, I would keep in touch with them weekly. And then anyone that's six months plus, touch them once, twice a month at most, because you don't want to irritate anybody, but you want to stay top of mind. Um, And the key there is staying top of mind because the stats show that on average, someone thinks about purchasing a house for an entire year before they actually do it. Would you like to know how long it takes them to choose an agent for this for this uh, incredibly important decision they've been working on for a whole year, less than 24 hours. And it is almost always the agent that they heard from last because they're top of mind. So be in position to be the agent that's top of mind. That is so key. That is why the system works. It's, it's, a, it's, it's mathematical and it's also psychological because that's just how the human psychology functions when it comes to these decisions. They generally choose their agent very, very quickly after they've, they've taken the time to choose their property very, very slowly. So if you're not the last one they heard from, your chances of them using you go down dramatically. Well, that's a great piece of advice. Great advice, Caleb. Uh, Caleb, I want to uh, switch gears here and ask you a, a series of different questions. Um, my first question for you is, you, you got all this activity. You've told us about the marketing you're doing, and people want to know, are you profitable? Are, are you actually bringing home profit? 
Yes, absolutely. I wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't profitable. That's <laughs> that's the nature of the beast when it comes to business, right? But um, yes, we're extremely profitable. So for me, joining a team has been um, an excellent avenue for becoming extremely profitable because um, I do give away a portion of my commissions with each sale. But I, the benefit of that is I have basically no overhead, which is which is great for me. So um, that's been wonderful. So. I'm pretty much all profit, which is, <laughs> which is great. But even my brother, who's my team leader, um, has, has been extremely, extremely profitable and has been able to generate multi-million dollars worth of profits, even with his, I'd say he probably carries four to $500,000 a year in overhead and even still generates millions beyond that. So yes, we're definitely extremely profitable. Well, that is fantastic. Um, Caleb, what drives you? What drives me is the feeling that when I get to the end of my life, I want to look back and feel that I did something truly meaningful with it. And I think that generating income through real estate, it's one of the, it's one of the best ways to make money in terms of profitability when you have a system and a process like this. It's, it's got no ceiling. So you can go as high as you want in this business. It's amazing. And um, that allows you to do so much good in the world when you have the resources and the funds to do so. But beyond that, with my clients, what really motivates me is most people, their house is their greatest asset. And it's, it's going to be one of the largest financial transactions people make in their lifetimes, unless they're selling some large corporation it is buying a house or selling a house. And so to be able to skillfully navigate that process with them, to be able to relieve stress from the process, to be able to see their family goals and dreams become a reality. I work in a beach market. So for many people, owning a beach home is this incredible dream that opens up so many doors to memories with their children. Um, I had a gentleman who was a doctor buy a beach house so that his parents could retire to it. And he calls me all the time telling me how overjoyed they are in that house and how thankful they are that I helped them find it. And that, that really drives me and motivates me. Um, so I'd say it's twofold. It's number one, helping people. Number two, the income you can generate allows you to do even more of that and also allows you to achieve your own personal goals, you know? So um, I hope that answers the question, but. Yeah, that that's, was great. Um, Caleb, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Learn. <laughs> study, 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 because you can't begin to serve people. And, and serve is, is really a key word. You know, there's an amazing quote that I love. It says, a humble servant rises the fastest because he is the people's choice. And um, they once asked a multi-billionaire, and all of this is in a book called The Seven Decisions in, the, in its companion book, The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. Highly recommend those books. They're, they're life-changingly good books. But uh, they ask this billionaire, and they say, if you lost all your wealth and had to restart from the beginning, what would you do? He would say, well, I would find the first job that I could, and I would save up $500, and I would go to a restaurant where it costs $500 a meal. And I would open every door. I would pull chairs for people. I would converse with people. I would help them in any way I can. And the reporter said, well, why, why, would, you, why would you save $500 just to spend it? How are you going to build any wealth? How would you get to be a billionaire again? He said, because the people that I serve at that restaurant are the same people that have the connections I need to become a billionaire. And they'll remember me because I served them well. 
So mm-hmm. serve well and learn well. And if you can't, if you don't have the knowledge base as a new agent to understand the contracts, to understand your market, to understand profitability margins and, and all the investment components and, and, and lending components that go into a purchase. If you cannot advise your client on those things, learn and study. And, and even if you can sharpen yourself, constantly get better, go take your favorite lender to lunch. And uh, instead of asking if they know anybody that's going to buy or sell, ask them questions about their process and get to know their process even better, get to know that side of things even better. You know, just continually learn so that you can continually serve at a high level because ultimately the essence of capitalism, the essence of business is providing a service to someone. They are paying you for that service. So I would say learn and serve well. Very good. Well, Caleb, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Be patient with yourself. Um, this is a, a marathon and not a sprint. There is, there's so much burnout to be found in real estate. Um, the National Association of Realtors conducted a study and nine out of 10 agents quit within the first two years. There's a tremendous rate uh, for burnout in this business. So it's easy to look at me and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go do all that today. I'm going to have it done. I'm going to build Rome today. Don't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't build it took me it took me four and a half years to get to where I'm at right now. And it's going to take me another four and a half to get to where I want to be. Um, it took my brother, it took my brother six years to, to accomplish the thing he, the things he's accomplished and he's continuing to build on it every year after that. So just be patient with yourself, no matter where you're at in the process, take it one day at a time. Remember that a good plan implemented now is better than a perfect plan later because trying to come up with a perfect plan is what's going to burn you out. And trying to be perfect is what's going to burn you out. If you don't hit your contact goals one day, that's okay. Reset, get it tomorrow. I'll, I'll show you here. I'll share my screen with you just one more time. And you'll see there's weeks right here. The very first week I started, 37 contacts. That's a pretty far cry from 75, right? There's some days where it was 75, some days where it was 61. You'll see though, after this 37, I did 113 to make up the difference. You know, and, and after after a few weeks of slow, the pandemic happened. We come down here, we see my all-time low of 23. I felt pretty rough, but you know what? I decided I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to do 120, 88, 108, 113, 84, 165. I'm going to overachieve the goal to catch back up. You know, I didn't let those weeks stop me. And those weeks are going to come. Don't, don't let it, don't let yourself be fooled into thinking that just because I'm here talking about it every week is perfect and my life is sunshine and rainbows and I always do everything well. It's not the truth. It's not the truth for anybody. No one's perfect. So don't hold yourself to that standard either. Fantastic. Well, Caleb, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today. Yeah, absolutely. It was my pleasure, Mike. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity and just really appreciate you guys. Uh, Thank you, Caleb. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us on Success Calls. Keep moving forward. Bye. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV real estate agent lead generation television. 
and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.